Welcome to Kernels of Nutrition, the brand new podcast series powered by the Almond Board of California. My name is Rosie Long. I'm an AFN registered associate nutritionist. And in this series, I'll be chatting to some of the leading nutrition professionals in the UK about their experiences and how they successfully communicate health and nutrition messages through the work they do with brands, the media, and more recently on social media too. This podcast is part of the Almond Board of California's Almond Academy, a learning and development platform developed by health professionals to help other nutritionists and dietitians advance and refine their existing skills. Visit almonds.co.uk to listen to other podcasts in the series, sign up to the Almond Board's Nutrition Bulletin and access all other Almond Academy resources. With me today is registered nutritionist Rhiannon Lambert. Rhiannon is founder of Leading Harley Street Clinic, Retrition, a best-selling author with her book, Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and a successful podcast host. Rhiannon's business, Retrition, has seen her work with some of the world's biggest stars, including Olympic athletes, pop stars, and professional footballers. In this episode, I'll be talking to Rhiannon about how to market yourself as a qualified health professional whilst keeping your integrity and building a successful business in the process. Hello, Rhiannon. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, let's start with the big question. Um, what made you start Retrition all those years ago? Hello. Um, gosh, such a big question to start with. And it's such a pleasure to be able to chat with you today. Um, so I guess Retrition um, happened. I used to be in the music industry as a soprano and things were very tough. 2008 was a time when the, you know, the economy went, it went recession happened. Everything kind of went and imploded around me. And I really missed using my kind of academic side of my brain. All my friends were going off to universities and studying or they're at college or they'd got their jobs, they'd found what they wanted to do. And I just thought, what else do I love in life? I need to do something else here as a backup plan. I can't rely on the music industry. And I found nutrition. And at the time there were only a few universities that offered the um, nutrition degree at the time. And I enrolled in a nutrition and health degree at Roehampton University, which was automatically accredited with the Association for Nutrition. But at the time, if I'm being honest, I had no idea that nutrition was ever going to be a thing. And I guess I came up with it when I was um, doing my degree it was kind of halfway through and there wasn't really social media back then Twitter just came in there was no Instagram and no TikTok or whatever all these other platforms are now and I wanted to call uh the the business um Riri's Nutrition which looking back would have been diabolically bad (laughs) my my husband at the time thank goodness he stepped in my then boyfriend was like, oh, I don't think that's quite credible. Maybe you should just merge the two words. And Retrition was born from Rhiannon and Nutrition. And Twitter, I guess, was my gateway and my my path, Rosie, into um, discovering that journos were online and I could use journo hashtags to get a quote in the press. And Twitter was really the way I guess I managed to get my foot in the door, I suppose, with the media at the time and then throw myself into the world of freelance work. So that's a very quick answer, I think, to a very broad question. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've come a long way from running Retrition as a Twitter handle um, during university to now running, you know, the leading private nutrition clinic on Harley Street. And you've got other registered nutritionists and dietitians on the books, alongside some of the work you do with brands such as the Almond Board. So 
where where did you get from you know where you came from to where you are now oh gosh um well I, I feel first of all incredibly lucky to work obviously with you know Alma Board's been an incredible partnership and to have the clinic it's been it's been so wonderful but I've made so many mistakes Rosie along the way it, it's definitely not been a smooth transition and I never really planned to to set out to be this um, leading clinic. I obviously wanted to be a nutritionist and I knew I wanted to see clients. I've always loved people, I guess from my music industry days, I just love the idea of being able to inspire other people and help them out um, along the way. So I started by interning at the Food Doctor Clinic in Harley Street at the time. I remember I was on the reception um, counter you know seeing all the clients walk in walk out doing their thing I had so many jobs at the time and actually everyone else there at the food doctor clinic was a nutritional therapist they weren't a registered nutritionist so I wasn't really sure at the time if I'd made the right career path if I'm being honest I thought oh am I not good enough because I've done this three-year degree I haven't done this this diploma um what have I done but actually it was the best thing in hindsight because I then was able to get a job at the Food Doctor Clinic and I was the first registered nutritionist on their books and it proved really, really popular at the time. And then leading on, I'm trying to think coherently. So I was interning there. I had so many jobs at the time, Rose. I was working at the Albert Hall. I was working in the library at the university. I was trying to make ends meet. I was still in retail at the weekends. I managed a concession of Jaeger at House of Fraser at the weekends. And there was a lot going on. But I wanted to then do my master's degree. I thought, you know, I really, really need to just buckle down and specialize in an area. And at the time, it, I thought um, obesity because it seemed to be a lot of clients in the food doctor clinic. And it was still is a big, um, I guess, point and area that we want to work on in this country, in the UK in particular. So I enrolled in a master's degree. And when I was doing that, I got poached by a private GP clinic up the road in Harley Street. So we were at the bottom at number 13 and they were at the top at number 127. And they were like, would you like to come and work alongside my team of doctors? Uh, they need a nutritionist. And they were particularly looking for a registered nutritionist at the time I was a registered associate um, to help with their clients there. And that led me on from one thing to another. I, I, I met my mentor, um, Jen Lowe, who's a fabulous registered dietitian. And then I got approached to write a book. It seems like it's all, it's very unplanned. It all happens for a reason. And I guess a lot of hard work that got put in um, definitely came back. It's almost like a karma kind of cycle. At the time, I only had around 7,000 followers on Instagram because I was running a cafe as well part-time in Parsons Green. I was just showcasing the food I was creating at this cafe and networking on Twitter still, obviously. Um, and that's where my um, editor, Lauren, found me. She'd seen my tweets and the work I'd done in the media. And she just came, I remember thinking she'd booked an appointment with me at this private clinic. I'm thinking, this is really odd. Why is she showing me all these books? And then she offered me a book deal. And it, it was it was strange. And it, it was also a very difficult time because I ran into so many problems at this private clinic. Um, you know, disagreements on our approach. Um, I was very evidence-based. They hired people that weren't so evidence-based that were working there at the time. There were lots of contractual things and it was all very 
very confusing. So I took the plunge and in one day I knocked on all the doors in Harley Street because I was so desperate saying, have you got a room? Have you got a room? Thinking I've got a client base here. They all want to see me. I need a location. And I ended up at number 10, which is where we are to this day. Um, Although there's changes, obviously, at the time we're recording this episode of the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, And yeah, that's how my clinic started. It was just me. I worked all hours every single day. I'd see clients up until 10 p.m. at night. um, And that's how it really kicked off. But I had to learn about room hire, Rosie. That was not ideal. I mean, balancing the books, um, everything that came in, went back into the website, you know, running the website, problems that arose there, um, all sorts of things, expenses, um, rent in London, living in London, you know, it it was all a learning curve, a big, a big array of mistakes that led into positive changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the path you've you've talked about there is so interesting. It's kind of lots of paths of different opportunities and things like that and challenges, as you said. But, you know, you started as as you um, at number 10 and with that client base. But how did you go about scaling up from just you to having this this team now and building this this brand and this business around you? Gosh, it, it was like a natural um, it was a very natural progression because the clinic started to grow and I couldn't really keep up myself with the volume because I I was also getting this other area that I hadn't even considered at the time was um, a way to make a living as a nutritionist. Um, I'd always thought, of course, I could consult for a brand, but I never realized that suddenly having a social media following that that was another area where I could, um, you know, link up and work with other brands. So I needed help. There was no way I could manage that element and the element of the clinical work. And I still had my part-time jobs at this um, time as well. I was working at the Royal Albert Hall um, in the box office, doing all sorts of hours there. Um, I was still in the uni library. So I used to do the night shifts at the uni library so I could fit this all in. Of course, I was wrapping up with my master's degree. And then I enrolled into becoming a a master practitioner um, because I realized psychology was another element that was missing in my clinic. So I had to get all these elements nailed before I could upscale because I I felt like as a nutritionist, you weren't really taught how to interact with clients one-to-one, the language that's required, how to get the most out of them, how to work on behavior change. So I needed to study again. So I was doing this and I just couldn't do it all. Money was just so tough at the time. Brand deals didn't pay well back then. I was doing so much for free. I can't even tell you, Rosie, how much free work um, my whole 20s went into growing nutrition as a brand. But I hit a big learning curve, and I'm sure this will be quite useful for lots of your listeners, with agencies. Because I was under the impression quite naively at the time that having an agent meant they were proactive for you and they would go out um, looking for work for you but it's that's not the case they're so busy they've got so many people on their books they will just take the inquiries you get in they'll negotiate and they will take 20 percent, or some may take higher um than that of the fee you earn so i ended up um which i wish i'd done way sooner than i i have done now going alone and bringing it all in house and i hired my first ever employee um sophie's another um registered nutritionist at the time 
to work with the Retrition brand to deal with the brand inquiries. She just wanted work experience. Um, she wasn't fully qualified at that point. And she acted as a kind of agent for me. So we kept all the money at, at Retrition, which meant we had that extra 20% suddenly, which made so much more sense because we were such a team and it was so much fun and we really felt motivated together. And that enabled me to um, start saving a little bit and to earn a little bit more to pump into the business in other areas. We never actually paid for any SEO actually, which is search engine optimization of the website because social media did it all for me. It's such an incredible marketing tool that I don't think people really utilize enough. Um, although on the flip side of that, it's so easy to get misquoted in the media. And I would say I've been in trouble at the very beginning of my career with AFM because I have been misquoted horrendously by some leading tabloids that I'm sure you could all guess who they were. Um, and it led, it led me down a tough, tough year of navigation of proving that I am capable to represent registered nutritionists um, and say the right thing. It just, it took loads of work to upscale and get more people on the books. Um, I did so much in terms of projecting where I thought I saw myself. I was thinking, do I really want to run a clinic? Do I want to be a businesswoman? Because it's not something I ever thought I would be. Um, it, it, it was very complicated, but actually in hindsight, all of that learning curve, Rosie, all that time learning, making mistakes with brands, getting things wrong, having to redo it really set me up to be in a good place now where I'm getting to work with brands, you know, like yourself, like, like the Almond Board, where, where I'm really, really getting stuck into helping educate other nutritionists in the area, um, looking at, of course, nutritional science, which I still absolutely adore and love and want to be kept up to date with. So there's so much incredible stuff that comes out of all the hard work. I hope that's a bit coherent for you. <laughs> yeah, so I guess really you're saying, you know, it was it was just a hard, it was a hard slog. It was a lot of trying things and, you know, seeing what worked and challenges and and kind of just understanding how to market yourself, I suppose. And I think that's an important part of your success um, as a business is you've, you've been able to understand how to do marketing and obviously your nutrition expertise as well. Um, but why do you think it's important to build a brand and to, and to market yourself well? Um, I think ultimately building a brand, um, the brand is so important because people have to buy into it, if that makes sense, or they, ha they have to trust it. I think trust is the biggest thing that um, I really wanted from the Retrition brand. And we pride ourselves in, we turn down so much work um, currently because we know it it's not in line with our ethos. So the reputation you have enables you to have longevity in the industry that you're in. I think I learned really young, I guess, being a singer. Um, MySpace was a platform I used back then. I used to be number one in the classical um, classical charts. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a schoolgirl. I was like 14, 15. I was on the computer. I set up this little MySpace profile and I uploaded the songs I'd recorded in the local studio. And... I learned that's how you, you know, marketing and the image you put out there, the picture you choose, everything you choose makes an impact and stays forever online. Um, you know, social media in itself is an entire job. It, it is, it's a full-time job. It's constant. And as I don't invest in that SEO that we mentioned earlier, um, 
you know, everything I do in terms of my Instagram, my YouTube, the podcast, the videos, that's how people are going to relate to what I do. So not everyone's going to like it. That's very tough to stomach. You know, not everyone is going to like what you do. And it's getting used to um, having an online platform. But it's so important to get a brand out there now online, because I do believe that's that's the easiest and the best way to make a successful business. Yeah. And, you know, you, you did mention SEO and that you, you don't invest in that because you've got your social media. If someone was to, say, not have such a social media presence and, think, and not put so much stuff out there, you know, what does SEO do for a brand? Well, it can look at your, by the way, I'm not the expert in SEO, just just, just to clarify. (laughs) But from what I've learned, um, it changes where you appear in Google search engines or whatever search provider you're using. Um, You can rank at the top. So let's say you're going to put into your search engine, it could be Yahoo, whatever you're using, um, nutritionist in London. I know nutrition would probably come up on the first page, potentially. I haven't done it in ages, but you can enter keywords and make sure that your um, business would appear for what you think people will most frequently search, which does help you get um, seen in a very now um, competitive market. So I think it's about getting your business seen and being out there online. So it's definitely worth for so many, so many businesses pay for it. And and you'll see now because it actually says ad, I believe, on the top of the um, search engine posts that come up. There's always those first few that are sponsored or paid to be there. I think that's because they've paid for the SEO. I'm not actually too sure. But um, basically money does buy exposure. um, And that's why it's difficult if you're starting out. And that's why, to be honest, I never did pay for it either because it's expensive. Yeah. So potentially if you you really dedicate yourself to a bit of social media, that can can work as your SEO and you don't have to pay for it and invest potentially if you're starting out. Exactly, 100%. And the more collaborating you do, the better, because you can get seen by new audiences. It's it's a lot of time. It's a lot of free time. You have to be willing to put it in, but it definitely does reap the rewards in that case. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we talked about being recognised as a brand and, and you know, having things that you're recognised for. But where do you start? You know, I'm thinking of these well-known brands like John Lewis, Tesco, and mm. with all of them, we instantly recognize they could do anything. We instantly <laughs> recognize that it's them. We know what to expect. Is that is that what we mean by building our own brand? Um, yeah, I guess um, it depends the type of brand and it depends if it's the logo that's the familiarity. Is it a bit of music? You know, like everybody knows for me, it's the flower duet from British Airways ad, you know, that kind of familiarity that I think that's the success in these well-known brands. Um, and they've nailed their niche and their area in the market. Um, and that's, for me, I think um, I wanted something that wasn't personally my name, even though my business, the thing that's helped it grow has been about I guess, to a degree, my personality or my appearance, how I portray myself, I didn't ever want Rhiannon Lambert to be the name because I knew that I wanted a bit of protection from that level. And it's actually helped me grow in other ways. So the clinic is the Retrition Clinic. Yeah, it, It's enabled me to still be myself, but also have a brand that more people could come and work for. It's very hard to work under a name. Um, like Tesco is a good example. You know, it's not a person. There's so many people that work for Tesco. It's a place. It's a thing people go to. And the key brand message for us is definitely trust. And I suppose people have brought into my 
my persona or the way I deliver a message, but they do know under that name that it is a brand. So have an, an identity, be it the logo, be it the imagery, the color scheme, something that's consistent, I think is really important to be instantly recognized. And then having the niche, I think that it's so saturated that the niche for, I guess, my brand is having a healthy relationship with food. It's encouraging that because if I were just talking about everything, I don't think you do it very well. There's a there's a degree where I know I'm not an expert in, um, uh, let's say, nutrition for the elderly. So it's not my main focus. I can touch on generic public health messages, but I'm not a researcher in that area. So it's important to have your niche um, and be careful about, I guess, how people can buy into the work that you do. Is yeah, it's all it's all getting the messaging right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess the first step is just deciding what you want to be known for and and what you want to put out there and how you want to come across. You know, we've. In this podcast, we've talked a lot about business speak. We've mentioned SEO, marketing, and all these things. But as you mentioned, we're, we're slightly different when we come, you know, nutrition professionals are slightly different from any other kind of startup business um, because we have integrity to maintain, we have ethics. How do you maintain your integrity as a health professional whilst also building your brand? Oh, it's so difficult. I, re I really think um, integrity and in the code of conduct that we are um that we are regulated by is so important to have because it does help keep you grounded and one of the AFN um, regulation points of course is the continuing professional development CPD that we have to do which actually is something that you should want to do I believe if you are a nutrition professional of course it, certain periods of your life like I've just had a baby it is difficult to join webinars at certain times um to fit anything in the diary to be honest but you know, I recently studied a pre and postnatal course um, and I do attend my Nutri web webinars when I can. I think it's so important to keep on top of your learning and that in turn keeps you credible and make sure you maintain your integrity as a health professional. And I guess hosting regular uh, team building stuff we do at the nutrition team, that all counts as well. We um, make sure that we're always on top of everything and that we're connected because some of us work in hospitals rose you know our registered dietitians are working in the hospitals and then they do the private clinic stuff for us you know I do a lot of public facing things and I'll go well, I used to before COVID go into lots of offices and get to talk to people it's almost um I guess it's like a kind of union that we have as a nutritionist you need support you need to all be connected and chat to one another and the type of work you choose also reflects your credibility I mean I would never partner with a brand that I don't believe in that isn't ev evidence-based or won't accept my um my take on things I'm constantly going back and forth with certain brands saying you cannot say that it's not a miracle for instance I've been working on a product recently and they wanted to make some claims that it was you eat this one item of food and it means you're going to have a healthy heart. And of course, you can't say that sort of thing. You have to really look at the language and say, you can't say that, but you could say this instead about this product. And the science is important. And that's why, I guess, if you look at the Alma board um, as the partnership that we have, you know, if you took a piece of research on almonds and heart health, we as health professionals are in a position to really identify that key take home message of the study and perhaps it's almonds and cholesterol. And then we can turn it into something motivating that's accessible for your audience and perhaps that highlights 
you know, the research that is understandable because it's so confusing breaking down science, but Alma Board really, really do have the research. So it's just making it accessible and communicating it in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, the fact that you've you've attended study days and you've you've been there to listen to the research and you know you then you can trust it in yourself that you you've you've read it you understand it and you then you can communicate um I guess that's really important and I think you know we have mentioned there a little bit about the brands you work with and it is a, it is a part of your business away from the clinic is working with a whole host of brands so you know when and, and that kind of opportunity comes when you have a social media following what what other things do you consider when you want to part, partner with a brand because I know, I know there's going to be lots of people that um, will get approached by certain types of brands to do certain things how, how do you decide what what you should and shouldn't take um I'm now in a position where I am fortunate that I'm able to negotiate hard um, and make sure that I know it's what I'm capable of that I'm not stretched to the limit but when I did first start out I put I would be on my knees like <laughs> tired exhausted with the workload and I hadn't negotiated it well um I would not I didn't really know my own value and worth I suppose so I think it's important if you're working with any brand that I would only take something that I believe is possible first of all and not unrealistic that they are in line with my ethos so I have to check for instance if I were to work with delivery and that's an example because I did a huge um huge bit of product development and MPD with um, so new product development with delivery. We created a whole new range of burger called Dream Burger. And I was so excited about it because everybody likes to eat a burger or good food. We made a plant-based option. We had it with hiring fiber. I was able to hit all this criteria and I had the chance to really make a difference. So I wanted to work with brands that can make a difference, that are going to help people that I think could be useful. And I think the underlying thing is if it's not useful or enjoyable I'm not going to work with it because it's not going to help my audience and I have to think if I post something that is really not interesting or useful at all it's going to do me no favors in the long term partnering with this brand in fact I would lose the devoted audience that I currently have and it's just not going to do good things for me it's it's like I guess working you know even with almonds you know we have to check that EU claims are in place, that somebody is there in-house helping me with that, which is amazing. Not all brands actually have what we currently have in the sense that that partnership means I have people that understand the claims that I can and can't make. They're there to help me um, make them. They want to do the right thing. Brands have to want to do the right thing is the underlying message. If they don't, they're not the right brand for you. I mean, I've been back and forth with some brands I've signed a contract and we've had to break a contract because actually we just were not aligned and Mm. it's so so important you fight for your um credibility and what you believe in yeah absolutely they kind of have to take your counsel if if they're not going um in the right way already and if they don't then then you can kind of take a back a back seat there and say no I don't want to be involved but Mm. um I think an important part of of building a brand, and I think we kind of mentioned a little bit before, but is kind of deciding on your visual identity and and tone of voice. And, you know, we talk about things in in kind of the marketing world and each campaign or project, it might have a different visual design audience objective. Um, For example, this podcast. So we're bringing this podcast from the Almond Board. Um, It's part of their Almond Academy and it's, it's used as a training resource for health professionals. So, it's, it's very, very different to 
the fun consumer campaign do you almond for example but when you bring it all together it's all connected everything has the same core tone of voice everything has the same visual identity running through it you can kind of tell that there's one core objective and you know for almonds that's about edu educating consumers the almonds provide balance and, and everything they're looking for so it's a natural food packed with nutrition to offer fuel and it's backed by years of research so that's kind of thing that comes across from from what the almond board do and everything they do so how do you decide the visual identity that's right for you as retrition the retrition brand but also you know other people other listeners how would they decide that visual identity as well I guess the first thing is, do you put yourself out there or not? Do you want to use infographics? Do you want to put your face or your personality into your work? But there's a line, and I guess it depends on your type of work and what you do um, for a living and what type of nutritionist or dietitian you are, um, what type of health professional, because that does dictate how much you can and can't show of yourself. Um, and originally, I think because of my music industry days, I was so conditioned that everything had to be picture perfect. And it was I started off the Instagram feed. It definitely wasn't. And I think that's what made it grow quite fast, to be honest, that it wasn't picture perfect, but I wanted it to be. And I start I, I guess it helped me grow my brand. I was always striving for that. I always knew the imagery had to be good because platforms like Instagram are an image led platform. Uh, you know that's what it boils down to at the end of the day and it's so interesting that um posts that look perfect and are a bit more personal do so well compared to my more informative mundane type of post but of course I have the luxury now where I am to be able to share the downs just as much as the ups but I definitely started out just being positive smile on it was my old performer background and that's the way I I guess I am as a person quite upbeat um I try and it's just something I've always kind of had so that's the kind of tone I wanted retrition to have I wanted it to be positive I wanted it to be accessible but I wanted ultimately it to also have an element of realness I wanted to people to know that we care you know we are empathetic we do have those emotions and feelings behind what we do which does open me up to vulnerability and uh, it's been hard to navigate that online, actually, because I, I do share quite a few personal moments sometimes within reason, because um, I think it will help and benefit others to see it. And that's part of the key to success. But it's also you've got to be willing and ready to handle the repercussions, I think, of doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, you sort of having known you for a little while now and saying, about the positivity you know that is what you put across as your visual identity as the brand it is very positive but that is very true to you um you know it's not like you're putting on an act you know at all it's just who you are as a person so it's it, it comes easy I suppose to put that out there um but obviously yeah being on social media and having that kind of platform comes with some some downsides as well and some some negatives which I guess aren't to be um ignored Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I think just to touch on that, I think, unfortunately, the online space isn't regulated in the way that um, it should be because it's new. You know, it's a brand new era. We haven't really, we don't know how to control it or how to rein it in or what to do. There is no legislation involving it. So until there is, yeah, it's, we just kind of have to do our best, I think. Mm, model through um so kind of going back to the branding side of things you've you know you've got the essence of your brand and we've talked a little bit about marketing yourself and we've spoken about 
kind of social media. Um, what platforms do you think are really important for nutritionists and dietitians to kind of show up at? Um, I guess, well, for me, Instagram's the biggest one, um, 100%. Lots of people do turn to social media for advice. Interestingly, they won't go to their doctor or booking to see you. They'll just want it free online because it's there. But um, I do think Twitter is a really good one for health professionals. It's not engaged. And I, I think you have to know your audience. So Instagram, you are talking to the general public. Twitter, more likely other health professionals. Um, it's not as accessible, I think. It's harder to break down information on Twitter. and But it's a great way to network with other health professionals. And then Facebook, I guess, um, it's not so much the younger generation on Facebook. It's important to have all these platforms, I believe, but um, within reason. I mean, I personally, TikTok, I've only recently kind of put something on recipe videos, but it's so unknown. And I think it's more for the younger generation. It doesn't seem to be very credible. It's quite risky. I, I wouldn't recommend it for health professionals. It doesn't seem to be serious enough, if I'm being honest. Whereas Instagram, you, you can still convey an element of you know what you really want. And Instagram's starting to get those regulations in, starting. It's in the early days, but at least that's there. And then YouTube's fabulous if you have the time. To be honest, I don't have the time. I've got a YouTube platform, but I just, there's only so many um, fingers and pies you can hold. And I do my best for YouTube, but to be honest with you, it's the one I've neglected the most, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I know you've touched on TikTok there and kind of not being necessarily the best one for health professionals. And I think um, being one of those, TikTok people that have downloaded it through lockdown and really enjoyed cat videos and all that kind of thing. Um, I have noticed that TikTok is a place where there is an awful lot of misinformation and some really awful diet culture. So um, you kind of got that that balance of it's not necessarily the most professional platform, but there's so much nonsense on there. And and it's I guess it's down to personal preference as to whether we want to go on there and put informative videos that potentially might not do very well is it going to be a waste of time I think there's a there's a big kind of conversation as to whether we should be doing anything on TikTok but I mean as you said Instagram has changed um and it's now got reels so you've got that kind of fun element on on the Instagram platform as well um but I know we we've talked talked about social media when it comes to kind of website and you know you also mentioned that you were quoted in the media. Do you think those are really important for building a brand as well? Oh, um, 100%, without a doubt. You, you have to have the, the website and the, the online presence. Um, it, it's just the best thing you can have for yourself if you want to have your own kind of identity and business. Uh, you just have to have that online presence. It, it's expensive though. Um, building it so I used a template website for when I started out for a few years and when I earned enough money from nutrition this is why I didn't personally earn the money goes back into the business I spent quite a large sum on a bespoke website um which was really important to have actually uh, it's done wonders for the brand and you're able to use it you know to put different blogs up you know I've got lots of work experience opportunities for other health professionals to contribute to that are just starting out and they write blogs for the Retrition website. And we, we're able to be supportive and support others whilst helping our website as well. So yeah, I, I think it's an incredibly important thing to have. Absolutely. Um, and I think 
you know, there's probably people listening who are kind of either just starting their career or thinking about taking that big leap to build a brand or a business. What's the one thing you wish you'd known when you started? Oh, um, I mean, I never projected it to get this far. So I've just been constantly swimming, if that makes sense, keeping my head above water. But I guess I wish I'd known the impact on mental health that having an online business can have. I didn't know back then, you know, I was I was in the first wave of health professionals coming online. And well, actually, I probably wasn't. I was close to the first wave. I just missed it. But I was jumped on the bandwagon just in time. And I think um, it was really, really the fact that there is a negative side. The minute you build anything or say anything, you've got to be prepared for the not so nice side of it. You just have to build a tough skin. It's almost like in the music industry, I look back and I just think it's all the no's that you get. It's all the letdowns, the promises that don't happen. I mean, your your head is filled with promises in that industry and it toughens you up. So yeah, I wish I'd known that those were big barriers at the time because I think I could have built up a bit of a better coping strategy early on, but I'm there now. So that's what counts. That's good, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think there's... There's this thing about having all of your um, kind of professional opinions out there publicly as well. It's it can be quite nerve wracking. I know that, you know, when I've ever posted anything publicly, I suddenly get this wave of imposter syndrome thinking that I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I guess that comes into it as well. But um, but I, I think probably a lot of people are wondering and I know I've wondered is how you manage to balance this really successful business um, with all the other important things you have in your life. You know, you do um, the nutrition clinic, you you do important training in CPD, you know, proper proper courses as well, full, full-time courses, um, social media work, and now motherhood too. How mm. do you juggle everything? Uh, I don't think I, I do a great job if, if I'm being honest. Um, I, I'm still learning to juggle it all. And some days I'm, I'm better at it than others. And motherhood is without a doubt the most incredible but toughest thing I've ever I ever imagined I really naively thought oh I just take a few months off you know when I had a baby I'll be right back on it no I didn't even obviously I didn't predict a pandemic um and giving birth at the height of the pandemic in April was tough um and my situation was a bit unique Rosie because I couldn't turn work down because I didn't know what was happening I thought I'd lose the clinic. I I did lose a few brands that I'd been collaborating with. Nobody wanted to spend their marketing budgets at that point in time. No one wants to invest. Everyone wanted to freeze everything. No one knew what on earth was happening back in the beginning of this year. So I was in a position where I had to take whatever came my way because I have a team I employ that I need to pay the bills at the end of the month. I have a son to provide for, a family to keep afloat you know living costs every day I I just had to do it all and um perhaps I I wouldn't I would have taken a bit of a step back and maybe had a bit more support if the pandemic hadn't hit but I guess in terms of balancing it all um I take calls when I'm on a walk (laughs) when my baby's asleep I which doesn't always happen to plan I try and get as much done as I can and it's amazing how when you I've always found this the busier you are the more productive you are I don't know how it happens but for some reason, you just become the super machine and you just do it. All parents are superheroes in disguise, in my opinion. I don't, honestly, they are incredible. And you just get it done. Diarising, you delegate, you just get real and you crack on. And 
I am up late on my laptop nearly every single evening. Um, if he doesn't sleep one night and I've gone to bed later, then I'll try and go to sleep. But there's a lot of stress and anxiety in it all because I do never stop. And, you know, I've, I've not taken a weekend off nutrition in my entire life. Even on my honeymoon, I worked. Um, even when I was pregnant, I worked fully through. I was in the hospital. I had to do a little bit. Even getting contractions, I had to do a little bit. So there's, which some people may think, oh, that's ridiculous. You're crazy. But I don't know any different. My business is part of who I am. It's grown with me, uh, you know, throughout my 20s into my early 30s. Into, into, it's part of me. I don't really know. It's difficult to separate that hat, the two hats that you wear. Um, with motherhood, I do draw the line. I don't have my phone out in front of Zachary as much. I don't. I try to not do those kind of things. But it's going to be interesting over the next few years. How how will I do it all? Which I don't I don't think it's possible, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll muddle through the same as you always have. And you know, I think there's that big pressure in running your own business, and that's kind of what this podcast is all about: is how you build a business and become self-employed and do all of that. And that's that's the pressure is that you you don't have holiday, you don't have maternity leave in the same way, and mm-hmm. there's that constant feeling of needing to accept work. So, you know, I think it's it's the reality it can be fantastic it you know it can bring lots of amazing opportunities but there are the the challenges that come with it that you kind of have to take you know the rough with the smooth I suppose oh 100% I mean there's no pension fund unless I choose to do something about it or you know holiday pay or that you just mentioned quite rightly I wouldn't change it though I don't want to put people off because it's it's the most rewarding incredible thing to do do your own business but um, I guess it is more difficult if you are fully funding yourself like I have done. I, I suppose if you had an investor perhaps in your situation or a bit of financial support, it might, it might not be as, you know, as tough, but it's still a sacrifice, 100%. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rhiannon. That was fascinating and highly engaging. Um, I, I just hope our listeners found it as useful as, as I did. Um, I'd like to finish to ask you uh, just a few quick questions. Um, so the first one is kind of a professional or personal one, I suppose. But what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, 100 percent treat others how you want to be treated. Uh, my granddad said this to my dad. My dad said it to me. And it's how I've definitely lived my life. That's beautiful. Um, and what's the most valuable tool to have as a nutritionist or dietitian? Support. <laughs> honestly I think um in this type of industry it's so I just think why go through life without having a support network if you if you can get one just help one another and things come back and it's just nice to have a network of health professionals that you can all chat to and keep in touch with things so yeah support I think is the most valuable tool yeah definitely and I think um just from my experience as well on that it can it can help to fight off that imposter syndrome sometimes when you check with someone else oh yeah 100 percent and finally what's your favorite way to eat almonds (laughs) um it's probably not the nutrition most nutritious way to enjoy them rosie but i um i like to roast them and then i do sprinkle them with sugar but i mix the sugar with cinnamon so it's kind of like a cinnamony christmasy type almond it's delicious (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what? That sounds that sounds brilliant and something that I might rustle up um, a bit later on. Um, thank you, Rhiannon, for being my guest on this episode of Kernels of Nutrition. All other podcasts in the series can be found at almonds.co.uk and by searching Kernels of Nutrition on your chosen podcast app. 
This series is available across all podcast providers, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Acast. Subscribe and follow to get a notification when the latest episode is out.